0: a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, January 11th, 2024 edition, and because... Luke just felt like it. He decided to pop in and uh, join the show today. So welcome back, Luke. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy Thursday. Just one more day for everyone before we head out into the weekend. But we are moving through the second trading day of the new year, the first full trading week of the new year. And There has been a lot of market gyrations, uh, a lot of market news. We had a CPI number that came out today, and that will be something we will be uh, touching on. Uh, But most of this show is not just talking about the latest economic data points. It's really going to be about you and your questions. What is on top of mind for you? That's job number one. And then it's our, our topics that we bring to the table. And we're going to give you our perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience and hopefully give you some actionable material so that you can take that home, apply it to your investment process, and consistently make good decisions with your money. Now, we're going to look at the market performance today as well as run down some show topics. But right after we answer our first caller question now.
2: Hi there. Um, I have a question about... Advanced Micro Device AMD, um, I have a very small position, but I was thinking of selling that and I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Thanks very much. Bye.
1: Looking at Advanced Micro Device's $240 billion market cap, growth has certainly slowed as of late 22, 2023 full year fiscal earnings, so expect to be down 45% once they report earnings in the fourth quarter. This year earnings are supposed to bounce back to 2.95 but still below the 2022 earnings level of $3.50 per share. The relative strength right now Luke 96 so it's certainly in a strong uptrend. He owns it. Are the valuations so stretched now that maybe you should think about rebalancing?
3: Yeah, well, you know, AMD obviously is a, is a household name I think for most people. Uh, it certainly benefited from Uh, the uh, boom in tech towards the end of last year. Uh, I think that overall, what you probably expect to see in the market is kind of a shifting away, especially in a name like this, where cash flow is down over the past year. You said earnings is rebounded, um, but certainly from a valuation perspective, it still seems a little bit overvalued to me. It's at a price to book of five, certainly not as overvalued as some names within this space. But I think overall for this sector, I would take it as an opportunity to trim uh, away and, and rotate into something that that would uh, kind of benefit from the, the the secular changes that we expect to see this year.
1: Yeah. And, and this is a company that does have its hands in a lot of different areas of technology, a lot of hardware uh, products, PCs, gaming consoles, data centers, industrial applications, automotive applications, et cetera. So the, that's the positive here. It's a very uh, diverse business. But as you said, Luke, it is trading at a pretty hefty multiple. You're looking at enterprise value to EBIT about 58 times. That's very, very high. Price of sales around 11. We've talked many times that when you pay more than 10 times sales, it's very rare that you actually come out ahead in the long term. Um, so it's certainly trading at some elevated prices. And remember, historically, the chip industry goes in boom and bust cycles and If there continues to be a deceleration in the overall economy and lower demand for physical products, you're going to see inventory swell, overcapacity build within this industry and for AMD. And so, uh, you know, 2016 wasn't long ago, 2016, they lost money. And while recently they've they've done really well, uh, this is certainly a good time to at minimum, at minimum, rebalance your position a lot lower. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes. Our main focus point covers this topic, the risks ahead for 2024 and how investors can manage them. And that's what it's all about, managing the risks that we know are there and some risks that we don't know or aren't really paying much attention to. So there are geopolitical risks, financial stability risks, and the big question is, What is your investment time horizon? And that also impacts how you should prepare for these risks as well. Now, we have some voice bank questions to get to. One is in regards to the new Bitcoin ETFs, as well as AGM, Federal Agricultural Mortgage Corporation. So that's what's on the docket for us today. But let's pivot over to the market as a whole. And it was a decidedly down day overall. Small caps certainly underperformed. And look, we continue to see a very, very choppy environment in 2024 so far.
3: Yeah, that's true. The market was down, I think, significantly more intraday than it ended up finishing. The S&P 500 was only down seven basis points. But overall, the big headline news today was about CPI coming in slightly hotter um, than the consensus expected Cleveland's feds, Mester, who's a, who's a voting member of the committee, said that they expect, you know, that March will be a little too early to cut rates, that there's still some work to do as evidenced by December CPI. But that didn't change uh, the market's opinion. Uh, the chance of a rate cut in March now priced at 70 percent versus 66 percent before the print. But for me personally, my eyes are going to be on the start of essentially the, the start of Q4 earnings season tomorrow. By February 9th, we expect 75% of the S&P 500 to report earnings. So not so much concerned about what the earnings levels were in Q4, but certainly we'll be looking to see if the 2024 consensus of 12% growth holds um, after those numbers come out.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting move in the markets. The fact that, as you said, the month-over-month increase in CPI was a bit higher than expected, yet the expectations for a cut in March – Actually increased a, a little bit, so uh, it, the market continues to kind of call the Fed's bluff on their higher for longer verbiage, uh, or or or, or uh, their not verbiage, but you know their message uh, to the market. So it'll certainly be interesting to see if that comes to fruition or not. The dollar was down a little bit today. You had gold up a, a, a bit. You had oil. I believe that was up a bit as well. Uh, I know you said after hours we fired on some, the Houthis, correct?
3: Yeah, we're just shooting shooting rockets, some 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 jet rockets and offshore Tomahawk missiles. So certainly that can be something that uh, affects oil and, and energy prices tomorrow. Who knows which one? Yeah,
1: after hours oil is up a bit, so uh, that is increased tensions to some degree. That could do just be a short term little news headline or something that sparks a, a broader escalation of tensions within the Middle East. We, only time will tell. But uh, that is certainly bringing the oil price higher, which has been you know, under pressure, kind of in that low 70s range for a while now. And what happens with oil and energy prices more broadly will certainly feed into the inflation numbers and thus Fed policy. So that's something to watch as well. Now, as we go to break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest.classroom series. And Luke and I talk about how to prioritize your savings. We talk about the 40 30 20, 10 rule, as well as can you contribute to your 401k and IRA as well. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
4: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future.
2: Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities?
4: Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts
2: on CRM, Salesforce.
4: And so are their questions.
2: And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. you get your take on Chewy. ticker symbol L E C O. just wanted to get your opinion on... JP
4: Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein.
1: You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business.
4: Steve Peasley.
1: It's a very well run company. And now
4: Luke Guerrero.
3: EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors.
4: Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 99 chart. Hi,
2: Steve, Justin, and Luke. Just a quick question on dollar cost averaging in today's market. I have about thirty percent of my portfolio essentially in cash at the moment, and want to get that back into my diversified ETF portfolio a mixture of small, mid, and large caps. And just curious, if you would dollar-cost average that over a short amount of time, say the next 10 weeks, or would you dollar-cost average that on a more lengthy timeline, say 20-plus weeks with the current market conditions? Just love your input on that in general, and we'll look forward on the podcast. Thanks so much.
1: Well, the numbers always say the sooner you get the money in, the better chance you have to perform because over time you want to have your money in the market, especially if what if you get a market surge over the next six months and you take 20 months to get that invested and you only have about a third of it in over the next six months. And then maybe the market charts chug sideways for a, a year. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to go by the numbers. You probably want to do it sooner rather than later, especially because, as I've been saying time and time again recently, is the markets, they're not cheap. They're not expensive. They're around fairly valued. You're, it's not like you're throwing money in at prices that make it, make forward-looking earnings or forward-looking uh, returns look poor. They don't. They, they look about average, which is obviously much better than cash. Anything to add there, Luke? No, I think that pretty much
3: covers it. I would also just say that if if you have an opportunity to put more money in the market and you, you set a time frame, say you want to say, I want to do it over the next 10 weeks, market's dynamic. That doesn't have to be the exact time frame over you do it. Things can change. Um, there could be what you foresee to be a, a unnecessary rally. There could be a great contraction next week. In which case, maybe you want to put more money in then. So uh, I, think, I think your point is correct in that by the numbers, just getting exposure to that equity premium is, as soon as you can is great. But don't, don't, don't you don't have to stick to your plan if things change because things are always in flux.
1: Yeah, you can have a 20-month time frame. And then if the market pulls back 10%, what do you do? You maybe accelerate that. right? Put a quarter of it in uh, right then uh, once you get a 10% pullback. And you can do things like that. So um, that might be a better uh, way to go. Uh, so that you can, I don't want to say time the market, but be ready to allocate when there is a bit more fear in the market. Right now, not a whole lot of fear. Now let's squeeze in another caller question from 88899 chart.
2: Hello Invest Talk, Mike from Texas, calling about Huntsman, ticker HUN. What are your overall thoughts on adding Huntsman to hold for the next 5 to 10 years in my portfolio? Thank you for your honest and unbiased feedback.
1: Right, looking at Huntsman, this is a small cap name, a four billion dollar market cap. And the trend of the business is pretty rough here, Luke. The last four quarters, each quarter, year over year, sales were down over 20 percent. So there's certainly a downtrend here. You're seeing that an earnings expected to only make 54 cents last year once fourth quarter earnings come in. That's down from three dollars and 13 cents in 2022, and only supposed to make a dollar 15 this year. And those estimates. Are coming down as well. So, forward looking, you're talking about a 20 multiple on a name that's shrinking. I think there's a good reason why, uh, there's a lot of reason there why this has a relative strength rating of 22 and it isn't a clear downtrend. Do you see anything positive about this?
3: Well, I mean, aside from everything you just said, they also have quite a bit of debt, about a 58% debt to equity ratio. Um, I'm trying to take a look at their margins, but it's being a little slow to pull up. I mean, their margins, it looks like, have are not great relative to their peers. I mean, their, their pre-tax margin is about 5.3. Um, yeah. I, I don't really see anything that I like, to be honest.
1: Yeah, the operating margins right now are at about 2.6%. The five-year average is around 7. And if you look going back all the way to when they IPO'd back in 2004, those operating margins were yeah, kind of in the 5 to 7% range. So what you could say, the best argument is there is a version to the mean here that will get back to that uh, 7%. Those 7% margins and earnings will rebound dramatically. But like you said, they have a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet. The trends are not great. Uh, and I would want the technicals to kind of confirm that there is a, a turnaround in in uh, profits. And I'm not seeing that yet. So uh, I'm definitely to hold off on this one. All right, we're going into a quick break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART.
4: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, Right. You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, our main focus point concerns this topic, the risks ahead for 2024 and how investors can manage those risks. Now, it's hard to accurately predict the future. It's a fool's errand, really. And perceptions of the risks in the market are often, in some ways, priced in. And I think that is something most average investors don't understand. Is that they point to all these things, these risks that are on the horizon. And especially if people know about it. it's probably reflected in the price. So while a lot of people go black swan hunting, right? What is that next boogeyman around the corner? When? What is that next 08 crisis? They, 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 while that's fun and interesting, oftentimes it's, once again, a fool's errand. So Luke, there's a lot of noise out there. And the question I think a lot of our listeners are asking is how do they filter through that noise and kind of reframe their minds so that the risks don't feel as daunting as many of them many of them make it out to be? Yeah, you know, that's that's
3: a great question, I think. <laughs> One thing that my mother always told me that's applicable to not just finance when you feel like the world is melting down, she always says, I've lived through this too. And by that, I mean that there are always risks out there. Mm -hmm. There's always potential for conflict. There's always a threat of supply chains breaking down as we've seen even when we thought we were comfortable in 2019, right? That's a risk that nobody saw coming.
1: Markets climb the wall of worry.
3: Markets climb the wall of worry. I like that. Um, But I think the most important part is exactly what we always stress, which is to have a disciplined, consistent approach and to structure your portfolios in a way that weathers the storm. So we have been impressing upon clients and and our listeners for a while to look for companies that have low debt on their balance sheets. That's not because we think there could potentially be, or rather it's not because we're certain that there's going to be some crisis that would That would necessitate companies being put through stress tests. But it's a way to prepare for that Mm -hmm. and to prepare your portfolio for the worst case situation.
1: And markets have been around a long time now, especially equity markets. And you just go back 100 years. Think of all the things that have happened over the last 100 years. From world wars, multiple regional wars, pandemics, financial crises, etc. And still, equities have returned about 7.4% after inflation. You're right, in real return. And that's just, that's about a, that's some perspective that you can have when you start thinking about the current risks in the, in the world. And it's pretty obvious what they are. We, we obviously have two wars in uh, the Middle East and, and Eastern Europe with Ukraine and the, and the Gaza conflict. You have a commercial real estate problem, both locally and potentially worldwide. You have inflation that is elevated and no one really knows exactly where that's going to settle out or where that long-term trend is going to be. You have secular uh, trends in China in many ways that are reversing, you know, the uh, globalization trends that are reversing. There are large deficits here in the U.S. and abroad and a potential recession on the horizon. All of those things are fairly well known. But if you think back and you th- just recently, March of 2020, when you had the COVID crisis, there was a lot of uncertainty, but it was pretty clear that once you got got through the, the initial phase, that while there'd be some, some changes, overall, the economy structurally didn't move much. And asset values bounced back. And that's really what you have to think about. It is when you see a headline, first question you should ask yourself is, does this change the underlying structural cash flows of the business in the industry? And, and not just over the next 12 months, it's the next five, 10, 15 years, because in any given short period of time, that's what a lot of people focus on a recession, Luke. It's like, Oh, there's a recession. You got to get out of equities and there's going to be this huge risk. The reality is most recessions bring modest volatility in equity markets. And, don't change the long doesn't change the long-term trajectory of earnings for businesses. Yes, near term sure. But if you look through those volatile periods, you you have a consistency of longer term earnings trends. So what I always tell clients is, yeah, there are risks, but those risks are actually opportunities. Most people don't understand that that when those headlines hit, they should get excited reframe their mind to oh a recession is bad or volatility is bad or a credit event is bad too no those are opportunities that's how everyone talks about investing like warren buffett they think it's value investing that got him where he where he is today no a lot of it is seeing through the crises and allowing those crises to be buying opportunities for him and his funds
3: yeah, I think the, the perfect the perfect example is that some some companies like NVIDIA have no room for error. They're priced in yep. such a way that they have to hit sales expectations. Whereas China, everyone expects it to be down. They mm-hmm. just have to have some sort of positivity for markets to react, react in a good way. Yeah,
1: yeah. You have to understand that these things uh, oftentimes are priced in the markets sometimes way too negatively and sometimes way too positively as well. All right, now we're heading into a break. So I'm ready to take your questions now at 888-99-CHART. Dot com, this
4: is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888 99Chart.
3: On the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story highlighted by this topic. What is the total cost of owning an ETF? Now, the total cost of owning an exchange traded fund or ETF is roughly split into your holding costs and your transaction costs. But fees are only a small part of the equation. That's tomorrow, but now let's play another call- caller question that came in earlier to 888
2: chart Hello again, Invest Talk. I had a question about a news article I just got done reading about the new Bitcoin ETFs that will become available. Um, it looks like the SEC just approved a spot Bitcoin ETFs. And then it also shows that some fund managers or asset managers like BlackRock, Fidelity, ARK Invest, and WisdomTree may be putting out their own version of their fund. So my question is, You guys talk about, you know, being well diversified with our investments. What's KPP's plan regarding cryptocurrency or these Bitcoin ETFs? You know, do you guys plan on having a small percentage yourself? Or what about uh, maybe not for you you guys, but what about other investors like myself who don't actually have a financial manager, but you know, are interested in the space? Um, you know, do you think that this could be, you know, something good long term or is it just too soon right now to tell? I'm really curious what you guys think. And then also if you guys do know of certain tickers that we, I guess you guys can't really recommend stuff, but if you could recommend which one of these that I listed would be maybe a, a good to look into further. So I'll listen on the show and I appreciate all your guys' help as usual.
3: Now, as most people know, the SEC recently approved, as the caller mentioned, uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs. Now, I think Justin and I kind of share this opinion in that for most investors, this doesn't have a place in their portfolio in a way that you would think of traditional asset classes. And for me, and Justin, maybe you can chime in as well, I don't see if you want to hold a, a Bitcoin, why you would do it, with an ETF. You're essentially just layering on additional fees rather than going to the market yourself and holding it in a cold custodied wallet. So I, I think that I, and you certainly see it in what the sec chair said recently in the, a lot of investors are going to see the, the letters ETF and think that they're protected in the same way as a fund that is uh, regulated under the investment companies act of 1940. And, because of some of the issues within the crypto industry, issues putting it lightly, I think a lot of investors are going to purchase this, uh, assuming they're that they're safer than they truly are.
1: Now, I, th- I think the best argument, Luke, for these ETFs or, and buy, or owning uh, Bitcoin through these ETFs is actually going to be being is owning them in tax deferred accounts, IRAs, four hundred one ks, which you can't really do within. Like you said, a cold wallet. Uh, now, I do think that it is something people should consider, but probably not now. <laughs> Mainly because we've seen this act before. Hype train around a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, was it Bito? B-I-T-O? That's the Bitcoin futures ETF. And I remember, when did that come out? Let me just, yeah, that was... Uh, right near the peak in 2021. And it came out around $40 per share. Now it's at 22 and change. And so historically, timing-wise, this tends to be a terrible time to buy. Now, I do think there is... The fact that it was approved is, is very interesting to me because... I've always been in the mind that the government isn't going to allow others to take control of the currency. They want to be able to print the currency, uh, enact an alphabet soup of policies to kind of paper over issues within the treasury market, like what's what's happened recently with the uh, BTFD. And I didn't think that they were going to do this. Uh, you know, up, up until recently, I, I kind of thought there was a decent chance they would. It's pretty clear that they've taken the stance now that they rather have a piece of it and an ability to kind of have what have some control as opposed to completely banning it and not making money, any money off of it. Right? Uh, it's pretty clear that lobbyists have kind of come in and and, and uh, pushed them to to get this to happen so that the Black Rocks, et cetera, in the world can uh, open this up. Uh, and I think long-term, it's about fun flows, and this opens up fun flows, potentially more fun flows uh, into this space. So I do think there is some merit to this, that, that owning this long-term. But like I said, Luke, historically, when these watershed moments happen uh it's usually at a time where it's not a great time to get in (laughs) let's just say that Uh, and 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 historically bitcoin and other crypto has been a big proxy for liquidity so there's volatility is going to be huge and as you said luke there's for a lot of people it's not appropriate because of that volatility um i don't know anything to add beyond that
3: yeah, I think investment horizon matters. Yeah. And if you are approaching retirement and somebody is pitching you to allocate a large percentage of your portfolio to a Bitcoin ETF, mm-hmm. run.
1: Yeah.
3: Because yeah. the volatility and the massive swings and the time periods over which the price can stay depressed can has the potential to wipe some people out.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll the volatility there will certainly rip your face off uh, if if possible, and and it probably will. Um, and, I, and I do think Bitcoin does have a lot of value, but I think a lot in 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 ways that are different than what most people think. A lot of people use it as like an off ramp to the dollar, off ramp of to the traditional financial system, and the reality is the better value actually comes in those countries that. Have far worse systems than we do. Think of South American countries, countries that historically, you know, z- historically have runaway inflation. Whether that's uh, Argentina or whether that's Zimbabwe, you know, those are kind of the, the traditional um, proxies for runaway inflation. And I think those type of countries that have uh, reckless governments, reckless central banks, this can be a good off ramp. But there are risks involved with that. There are security risks. Uh, and going to your cold wallet uh, uh, point, Luke, you know, security risks are are certainly there. And that's one of the reasons why I think they may have jumped the gun on, on approving this. I think there are a lot of security issues with think of one entity. How are you going to make sure that that wallet of the ETF is secure itself, Right. Um, You know, it's easy to store physical products and and, and secure it in a warehouse, et cetera. But digital, there are other challenges involved. Um, So, you know, I I think that there are certainly risks here. I wouldn't go overboard and I wouldn't do it today or anytime soon.
3: Yeah, I just and to add one one more thing. I think for me, the dangers that I see to the system from the approval of something like this is just the derivative products that are coming next, and so yeah. you have something that is highly volatile. That now you're mm-hmm. going to probably in the near future have some leverage bets on, mm-hmm. and leverage plus volatility never ends well.
1: Yeah, especially for the average investor. You know, they chase returns. for, for retail. They chase this it never move, ends well for, for retail. Example. Yeah, and just look right now. Uh, Bitcoin rallied very strongly into this news, and it got the news that it wanted. This is a perfect example of like price to perfection. And what has the price of Bitcoin done since this announcement? Basically nothing. It's pretty much flat. So those that bought, you know, that, that bought it for this move, you know, and typically when that happens, it's probably actually going to reverse lower. And you can easily see a buy, this, buy the rumor, sell the news type of event here. Um, so... Yeah, very interesting story. We're certainly going to be following it. I think there is some value in in Bitcoin, but probably less than than most people realize. Uh, And it's going to be extremely correlated to liquidity. And as we know, liquidity does ebb and flow. Now, let's pivot over and talk a bit about uranium, Luke. And uranium price over the past, really since the Ukraine war, has doubled the highest level since 2007 and utilities are really the the main driver of prices as of late and that's because they bought 160 million pounds of the commodity last year that's the highest annual volume since 2012 and the market just continues to get tighter and tighter not just here domestically in the. US where, Reserves of uranium held at U.S. utilities have, declined, have been declining since 2016, but also in places like the European Union, whose, whose inventories have steadily declined since 2013. A lot of that's because many of them thought they were going to shut down their nuclear plants. Now, with the Ukraine war, many of them are reversing. And so that the nuclear power plants continue to actually pick up steam. You know, They're opening a bunch of them in, in China uh i think they're planning to open over 50 over the next 15 years Uh, and i don't see this trend really reversing luke
3: yeah i don't either i think that early on in the quote-unquote green revolution a lot of people focused on wind and solar and i think over the next decade people are going to focus on the combination that makes sense given the electrical grid and the demands on the electrical grid at any given time. And nuclear is a big part of that. And I think the most interesting thing is that, you know, at this point, just given the cost of operating a reactor, the input material is 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 not the biggest cost. So mm-hmm. the price of of uranium going up hasn't really affected um, these power plants that much, but it's getting to a point where it might.
1: Yeah. And I think the Demand other interesting is what part we about call this, inelastic.
3: It's inelastic for now. But yeah. I think the, the interesting part of this to me is that given that Russia holds about half of the world's enrichment capacity, the world moving towards a, a energy grid that includes nuclear is certainly going to keep Russia in the fold of global discussions going forward in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been post-Ukraine invasion.
1: And, but, but you could say over time, if prices continue to rise, maybe that incentivizes Western countries to build out their enrichment capacity, Right. And you I know, think it, it that's certainly started-
3: could, but I I think that one of the issues there is that the <laughs> nuclear is it's a dirty word. People are scared. Yeah, I, mean, no, they shouldn't I, I
1: think over time, over time it, it's pretty clear that it shouldn't be. And the as with everything, sentiments of the public ebbs and flows. And it's certainly ebbing back towards, hey, nuclear is not as dirty as it it used to be. Actually, this is a pretty good option in Mm -hmm. a world where uh, we're trying to decarbonize uh, and create a stable power grid, which we know you can't do generally with uh, wind and solar. And so as a baseload power, it's hard to do much better. Now, there's a lot of upfront costs, and that's why we say the demand is inelastic because the costs have already sunk. It's building the plan and, and the actual uranium is a very, very small percentage of the total costs of operating and building the, uh, in the life of the plant. So that's why it tends to be uh, inelastic demand. So, uh, you know, we banned, the house uh, passed a bill to ban Russian imports in December. And the next step will be for the Senate to vote on that as well. So be interesting to see if that gets passed, but, uh, the trends remain positive for nuclear and the price as well. Let's go to Sid in North Carolina. And wants to look at Salesforce.
5: Hi, uh, Justin and Luke. Thank you for taking my call. And thanks for reading the message the other day. Uh, all prayers for Steve and the family. So thank you. Yes, uh, I want to discuss CRM. I do have this in my portfolio for more than two years. Maybe. And uh, I won't be surprised if you say that this is very expensive because I could see that. I'm at 20-25% of profit. It is around 1% of my portfolio. Do you suggest to hold this or sell it off? I'm sure you would not agree to add more at this price. Please give me your inputs. Thank you so
1: much. Are looking at Salesforce, two hundred and sixty-two billion dollars market cap, so certainly a mega cap company, and it was one of the first, uh, the first big SaaS companies that really made it big, and they continue to perform at least on the earnings side. Earnings in, this year is supposed to be eight dollars and fourteen cents. That's up from five dollars and twenty-four cents last year. And that's a 55% increase, Luke. And earnings; those earnings projections continue to go higher. And that's why uh, the price continues to move, move up. Relative strength, 94. So the trends are certainly good. I see resistance on the chart closer to 300. So I still think there's some more upside. It's at 270 and change now. So another 10%, I think, upside before there's some major resistance. But I think the question for... For for this listener, Luke, is, is that an area to sell some of it, all of it, or none of it? What do you think?
3: Well, I think Salesforce, I mean, their cash flow is improving over the past two yeah. years. Their profitability is back on an uptrend. You know, I think <laughs> the old saying is nobody ever went poor taking profits. Um, so I think if you feel as though it's a good time to do it, then, then it certainly could be. I, I agree with you that it's still got some room to run. I probably wouldn't buy any more, but the valuations are still pretty reasonable relative to their five, five-year averages. So I think he's got some time. I think he, he can make a decision to trim a little bit,
1: but uh, for now, I would hold on to it. Yeah, I would hold on, trim around 300, 320 in that range. All right, thanks for the call. Now we're heading into our final break, so give us a call now at 888 99
4: The stock market is constantly changing and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
3: So before we talk about our last talking point, we're gonna to go to Tier from San Jose who has a question about Franco Nevada. Do you hold it or are you looking to buy it?
5: Oh, I'm looking to buy it. Uh yeah. I got a recommendation from your uh show and so I did my research. It seems like it's like Hello. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, uh, so yeah, we, we are, uh, I'm looking to buy it. It has like very decent ROE, ROA, a little bit higher P than the other, uh, industry companies, but conventionally it's been higher. Right now it's like lower compared to its, uh, P ratio, zero long-term debt. Uh, everything looks good. I'm aware, I read a lot about the, the Cobra Panama mine shutdown. Uh, so the only thing I'm, or one of the things I'm worried about is, the growth opportunities over the uh, next 5 years uh, so i would love to uh, hear about your analysis and take on it
1: well the cobra mine is a big issue for them it is a an asset that brought in about 200 plus million in in revenue in 2022 so a company that does about a billion and a half in revenue annually is that significant So there's certainly uh, an issue there. And and this is a good example of, hey, is this asset impaired that they own? Obviously, not the whole company is impaired because of it, but a significant asset for them would be. Or will it be resolved eventually? And the answer for typically within these uh, Central and South American countries where a lot of mines are is that, you know, you grease enough palms and, you know, you, you talk to enough people and they figure it out. Uh, because there are jobs at stake in places that have limited economic opportunity. And so the workers want to work and the, the government wants the business. Um, and it's just about kind of squeezing more, more things out of the, out of the company, whether that is, uh, better pay, better rights, et cetera. So I think it's tri- You have to also look at this too. Uh, yes, it's P is higher than it's, than the others in the, within its industry, but this is a streaming name. You can't compare this to a normal mining company. So you have to compare it to other streamers. And so, um, I think there's good value here and this is the type of opportunities you want to pick up, but there are certainly risks still involved as well. Now, lastly, let's talk a bit about AI and Luke, everyone's talking about AI changing the world and how this is the next big innovation that's going to improve productivity. Well, the last major one was really the internet. And between 1992 and 1999, non-residential investment in the U S rose by 3% of GDP per year. But now CapEx is actually in reverse. And in many instances, negative. So, Does this mean that these companies don't see a lot of value in AI and thus they're not investing?
3: That's a good question. If you recall, I said this a while ago, that one of the good ways to get exposure to AI is to not necessarily try and swing for a home run with one of the companies that's trying to create it technologically. But think about the companies that are going to benefit from uh, implementing it in their businesses. Right. And what you've seen so far is over the next uh, couple of years, a lot of companies don't expect to spend that much money on AI. Um, yeah. I think, the I big think tech companies, you just got to think about. Well, other than the tech companies, but other companies, you know, 5% of chief executives expect AI to have a significant impact on their business within one to two years, while 65% see it being a big impact in the next three to five. So I think what you've seen with CapEx is probably just a uh, secondary effect of where interest rates have gone. The cost of financing has become more expensive and therefore the uh, pie in the sky, if you will, technologies that are eventually gonna help your business just take take second, second fiddle to uh, what's gonna help your business today. Um, do I think that's gonna be a long-term trend? I don't. I just think that uh, for now, companies see this as a, a down the road improvement
1: and it, it probably will be. And like most interesting new, t- new pieces of technology, Uh, People run ahead and dream big about their impact, but the reality is their impact doesn't typically affect the the near term. It's usually more of a 5, 10, sometimes even 20-year time horizon before these have strong, consistent real-world applications, and just think of personal computers, like they've Were rolled out in the late '70s, early '80s, and you know they they weren't widespread for most people until the late '90s, early 2000s. And so, uh, I think AI will be similar. It will build over time, but it's not going to be it's not going to revolutionize the world in one or two years. I'm Justin Klein. With Luke Guerrero and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes
0: as well. Independent thinking shows success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them.